Welcome to Connecting the Community podcast. I am your host, Marge Andre. I will be connecting you to people, organizations, and events that create community. I am creating this podcast in Richmond Hill, an eclectic and very culturally diverse community with lots of trees and streams and interesting people just up the hill from Toronto. On this podcast, we will talk about medical cannabis. I've invited a longtime friend, Sherry Bennett, who I regard as an expert in the field of medical cannabis. She spent a lot of time researching a multitude of issues. We'll talk about how cannabis works, what issues does it address, distribution of cannabis, and the history. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you so very much, Marge. Thank you. I'm just delighted to to talk with you, as always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm so glad that we can chat. So this is good. Yeah. Let's start. And, can mm-hmm. you tell us a little about yourself and how you became what I regard as an advocate for the use of medical cannabis? Yeah, I started out about uh, almost a decade ago. I had elderly clients who asked me to get access to a safe, um, legal uh, medical cannabis to treat their arthritis. These were ladies in their late 70s and early 80s. And I had already been uh, like getting into the research because I really wanted to um, investigate it for myself. And uh, because I knew as a when I had a you know an experience as a teenager, I remember that cannabis helped me focus, believe it or not, or uh, pay attention. And um, and then of course I got married and I had children and I didn't touch it for a long time. And then um, a lot of this you know uh, cannabis in the news and others talking about how it helped them with their arthritis or sleep disruption. So I, I delved into the research and I, um, I'm actually, uh, I've been studying the medical science now for almost six years. Mm-hmm. And I've been taking medical cannabis every single day in the form of capsules, gel capsules, um, for about six years now too, mm-hmm. with, with significant results. Because as many people know, I live with uh, a diagnosis of uh, post-traumatic stress injury, um, which I've had for over 30 years. And, um, and typically what well-meaning doctors do is they prescribe antidepressants and, and you know, tranquilizers and sleeping pills. But some of these things can come with suicidal ideation, believe it or not. So... Um, I, you know, I could never tolerate that, that stuff. And so when I started taking medical cannabis and doing the research, I signed up with a, a medical cannabis clinic and um, we started low on a very, very small dose and I've had significant results myself. Mm-hmm. And so since then, I've talked to like hundreds, I would say hundreds of doctors in both Canada and the United States and, uh, and patients and people with lived experience and, and then I, I found out about the history. Yeah. The history okay. is really, it's really important. Can you tell, tell us mm-hmm. a little bit more about this, this history of cannabis? It's, it's quite complex in depth. And I think we, I don't think a lot of people really think about it. 
It's unfortunate, but the sad reality is this is a plant medicine that was demonized to arrest millions of people. And, and mostly, um, you know, people, people of color, you know, indigenous communities, um, uh, you know, uh, black communities, people in, um, you know, of Hispanic ancestry, uh, families were just uh, traumatized because of this so-called war on drugs. Uh, in 1937, in the United States, a guy by the, by the name of uh, Harry Anslinger was the head of the uh, DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency, at the time. And unfortunately, he was an extreme racist. And uh, cannabis got in the way of big business. Uh, that's the short story. Um, here in Canada, our very first female judge uh, in the 1920s, she was actually called at the time uh, a police magistrate. She was one of the women that gave us the right to vote. Her name is, uh, let me think now, Emily Murphy. Mm. In 1920, around 22, 1927, she wrote a book called The Black Candle. And it was it, it displayed extremely uh, racist views, particularly on the Asian community, and blamed uh, the Asian community on the opium crisis at the time. And so cannabis got all wrapped into that. And so nobody knows the reasons for the law, why, but it was based on non-scientific racist propaganda that we were all fed, you know, raised to believe. And as you may remember, my dad was a doctor and I grew up in a medical family and we were raised to, to believe that cannabis was the devil weed and, and it could lead to other more harmful drugs. And in fact, we know now uh, that cannabis is an exit drug and cannabis can help people reduce their opium or opioid consumption. For instance, yeah. In medicine. So yeah, it's a, it's a horrible dark, um, dark racist and non yeah, yeah it's uh yeah. Ooh. and and you know um when you know when we find out here in canada about the um survivors of the residential schools and everything we were just horrified and brought to our knees you know um learning about the truth well mm -hmm. the same is true for the so-called war on drugs so-called yeah. war on drugs was actually a war against traumatized people and uh, okay. so I, I, I found a whole pile of uh, uh, doctors and specialists that were self-taught um, in cannabinoid medicine to learn about why it is that millions and millions of patients turn mm -hmm. to cannabis to mm -hmm. self-medicate. Yeah. Can you tell us, uh, Sherry, can you tell us, like, uh, you've done a lot of research, but... In the short period of time can you tell us really how uh cannabis works as a, a drug as a medicine um yeah the short story is that as our friend shashir lakani says we all every single human being has a heart right mm -hmm. so every single human being has an endocannabinoid system it is the largest modulating system in the human body so um, I, I, I know I should send you this visual description, mm -hmm. but the endocannabinoid system, is the key role of it is to balance our other systems, 
you know, our endocrine system, our digestive system, our renal system, our um, immune system. And so uh, human beings make their own cannabis molecules. They're called um, endocannabinoids. And mm -hmm. our, uh, we have uh, uh, receptors in our brain that work well with this cannabis medicine. And so it's really... It's not something that I can tell you about in 10 minutes, right? It's, okay, yeah. uh, it's, it's really complicated, but okay. um, it just makes sense that, um, and we know with certainty that uh, cannabis has a safety profile of plus 6,000 years. People have been using it for forever. Unfortunately, yeah. You've mentioned PTSD, Yeah. but I believe it does help with other issues, other conditions sure it does because um you know the main like cannab like first of all cbd helps with inflammation and uh, thc helps greatly with pain and there's actually um cannabis is not just one drug it's it's, it's like i would say 400 drugs at least in combination and not one we're all yes we're all human beings and we all have fingerprints but our fingerprints are completely different, right? So same goes with our endocannabinoid systems. So it's really kind of hard for doctors to prescribe um, um, specific, precise dosing for medical cannabis. It's sort of like a, you know, you rule this in or you rule this out type of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, my biggest challenge uh, has been over the years is trying to eradicate the stigma. Stigma, yeah, so, yeah, it's a very hard, it's a challenge, it's a real challenge. Yeah. I know yeah. you've taught, uh, you are concerned about the supply of cannabis, yeah. that it should be yeah. a, come from a good source, that there are issues from this, what the black market cannabis. Can you talk about the getting good medical cannabis? I'm, I'm very concerned about the illicit market right now and it's very dangerous to take cannabis that has not been tested so i encourage everybody to make sure they understand um you know where they get it and also if they want to grow it themselves i do support growers but you've got to know what you're doing because you can't you need to know um you know about the you know potential contaminants that you could get because growing your own cannabis, you could get mold, and and uh, I I don't want to I don't want to tell you the things you can get if you grow it yourself, you know. Okay. And uh, people really need to know how to do it correctly. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm concerned because um, there is a horrible uh, toxic drug supply out there right now. Mm -hmm. and, so, yeah, there are there are different types of plants, correct? Think, yeah, there's about 14,000 different cultivars, so different hmm. variations. Like if we look at apples, yeah. instance, you know, we have different variations of apples. Well, the same thing with cannabis and the same potency, like the same um, variables in, in potency. And, um, and by the way, hemp is still cannabis. Hemp is just a plant that has less than 3% THC in it. And THC is the, the molecule that everybody is, is concerned about because that is the constituent that causes one to be 
uh, impaired uh, okay. if taken in high doses. Okay. But if not, if taken in micro doses, it helps. It really helps people with in pain and for people uh, that live like me that live with symptoms of nightmares and flashbacks uh, mm -hmm. and sleep disruption. You need the THC. And, and just for the record, just because one has THC in their system does not mean that one is impaired. So um, it's a challenge um, yeah. for law, lawmakers. And, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, there are lots of cannabis shops mm. all around. Yeah. Is there an issue? Like, is that where you um, get your supply from? And what, like, what is it? I've never been in a cannabis shop. What, what is in there? Like, what, how, yeah. Yeah, and and so the answer is um, the can the government cannabis stores here in Canada in Canada are geared towards the the quote unquote recreational market. So um, it's very hard to find high CBD products in capsule form, um, and and I I don't say they're bad, but it's um, the what my recommendation is is to get a prescription or get an authorization from a medical professional and get it through um, the licensed producers that produce um, uh, cannabis in the form of gel caps or oil to use sublingually or um, dried flour that has been tested. And oak, the government stores, yes, they're all tested under Health Canada regulations. Um, but it's very hard for patients often to find consistency in the crop, the, you know, and so I, I choose to get my cannabis from um, a regulated, um, regulated licensed producer through a, through a doctor, but I also support our um, indigenous population, our indigenous craft cannabis growers that I know that have their own safety protocols, their own laws, and they they make amazing uh, medical cannabis. The Ontario government stores, um, in the, in those stores, the staff are not allowed to talk about cannabis as medicine. The government is treating it like um, um, not beer sort of thing. So they're not allowed to talk about it as medicine. And I wanted to say that, you know, whether one takes cannabis recreationally on a Friday night to relax um, or to treat their migraine headache. The human body doesn't know the difference, doesn't understand the, the intention behind it. It's still medicine. So what we talk about, what I talk about in my seminars and panel discussions is uh, we don't talk about the stock market and how people are going to make money or how to grow it. We talk about the effect of cannabis on the human body and how it interacts so well with our um, our endocannabinoid system. I was just talking to um, a guy, a doctor last night out of Florida, and he's studying cannabis for uh, cardiac health hmm. and the importance of uh, cannabinoid treatment for people that have um, recovering from a stroke or a heart attack, for instance. Hmm. So there's lots of interesting stuff. Um, I've talked to pediatricians who treat kids with um, autism, you know, with seizures, with, um, oh, what else? Childhood cancer, God forbid. And, and it is such, it's so much less, so much less harmful than, um, 
other, uh, and, and, and you don't have to remove the other drugs or the other things, but you add cannabis in and it helps to potentiate the other, um, the other drugs that one is prescribed. But my whole thing is, um, I think, I believe so strongly in physician oversight, mm -hmm. uh, because as I said, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I broke my arm. And I went to the hospital and I made sure to tell the anesthesiologist that I take, you know, CBD and THC every day. And he said, thank you, because that means um, he has to he has to manage my anesthetic. Right. So people need to understand. Doctors need to understand if one is taking medicine, a mm. cannabis medicine. Dentists need to understand. Mm. And um, and it's 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 truly um it, it truly does have a safety profile um, far greater than we we have been led to believe. <laughs> right. <laughs> You've hinted at this already, but uh, I'm wondering what your thoughts are for you know, moving forward. What What is it that you'd like to see uh, in the world of medical cannabis? Like looking down the road five, 10 years from now, what would you like to see the situation be? I would like to see the human endocannabinoid system being taught in med schools. Mm -hmm. So the people that I, I, I don't know if I told you, but I just uh, launched a new podcast called Let's Talk Cannabis with Doctors. And uh, we talk about how everybody on my, uh, my guest list has more knowledge about basic human physiology than most doctors in North America. And that's a really sad thing to report. Like, unfortunately, because of the laws, um, you know, doctors are not taught about this monumental part of human physiology that we all have. And when they find out, it's devastating to them. You know, can you, I can't imagine, I'm sort of, you know, my dad was a doctor, as you know, I can't imagine how horrible he would feel, you know, if you find out all this, you know, how they've been prescribing things that perhaps were not as uh, effective or not as okay. you know, yeah. Practice. So um, so a better education for our medical staff. Yeah. Anything else that you'd like to see moving, like imagining a better world, decade from now? I want it all decriminalized. I want people to understand that um, you know, the cannabis laws are criminal, not the people. I mean, there are some, yes, that 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 you know, sell it and, and, and get uh, involved in more dangerous drugs. But I would like to see that, you know, if we look at our, my co-host, Dr. Barbara Mangle and I, we always talk through the lens of trauma. And if we look at the root cause analysis of why people become addicted to any kind of drug or why people, um, you know, you know, get into trouble, it's like trauma. If we look mm -hmm. at, you know, yeah. if we look at not what's wrong with you, but, you know, what happened to you? Mm. I don't know if you know, but Oprah and a doctor called uh, Dr. Perry, I forget his first name. They just wrote a book called, um, yeah, what, what happened to you? Mm. So if you look at the root cause of these people that are living, that are homeless or that live with addictions, the people like you and I, you know, yeah. or something that may have happened to them that they needed to self-medicate with. Yeah. So I just want to say, too, cannabis is a $100 billion industry. 
I found out that milk was $23 billion industry, but cannabis, I mean, there, there's a huge demand. Yeah. Why? Because it helps people um, manage their, helps to minimize suffering. That's what I say. It, and, and, but one needs to be very cautious about taking it. And one needs to, um, if possible, um, have uh, physician oversight. Right. Unfortunately, many, many marginalized communities do not have even a family doctor. So yeah, really yeah I think obvious. you've sort of hinted that we need to ask why we feel yeah. that in a, yeah. such a state that we need, we are drawn to uh, the need for self-medication and such. So, and as we discussed before, the idea of, um, you know, having glass of wine is, or cold beer, similar to that, we, we need to ask why. So sometimes absolutely fine that you have that, but sometimes it is not. You can be in trouble. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to end this podcast on a positive note, uh, yeah. <laughs> just saying, I'm want to uh, you. You're part of this community. I'm part of this community. Yeah. Can you name one thing that you really like about this community? Yeah, but if you're talking about things, um, okay. Yes, I will say it's a thing, but I I got to tell you about the people too. Okay. Yeah. But yes, yeah. the thing is the. Um, the Richmond Hill Center for the Performing Arts. Yes. Because in my view, that is the hub of our community. And it's the hub of community and collaboration. Mm -hmm. and, and when we talk about the people, you know, we have your uh, connecting the community meetings there on a regular basis. And it was there that I found, I counted at least, 30 people hmm. that helped me, helped me with um, my own healing, you know, and, and I can, I can tell you that these people have become my friends for life. Mm -hmm. When I first moved to Richmond Hill, it was 2014. So in that short period of time, I have made wonderful, wonderful friends for life. Mm -hmm. And I've been introduced to, um, you know, politicians, I, I started learning about politics when I moved here. And, um, you know, believe it or not, we have some good politicians here. I know people, we have some, some really good ones that will actually listen. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I remain so grateful to you, Marge, because um, it was there that I sort of found the courage to talk about this stuff. And also, um, yeah, I, and I and I met the man of my my the love of my life there. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you're talking about happy? Yes, that's I'm very happy. Okay. So I love the community. people and the people and the theater and how they all come together is really what I I'm gonna say. I'll put you down for the people you see at our uh, our theater and uh, that is is great. Yeah, but can you imagine 30 people or so I counted? Yeah, amazing. And, and these people are all concerned. They're all heart-centered individuals willing to help others and yeah. collaborate just for uh, for no other reason but just to to help others. And, and that's what I love about our community. And I love the Richmond Hill Center because that's the thing I love yeah. most. The hub. Okay. The hub, right? That's so, Sherry. Yeah. 
we're going to uh, put some uh, lots of information in the podcast notes. You've got your website and contact oh, information. There's some other things you'd like to share as well. So yes. uh, thank you again, Sherry. I really appreciate having this conversation with you. And I'm sure we're going to see each other around town, if not, and probably at the Richmond Hill Center for Performing Arts. So again, thank you, Sherry. For sure. Thank you. I remain forever grateful to you, Mars. Thank Thanks. you very much. Thank you for listening. I would very much appreciate you sharing this podcast. Please tune in next week as we continue to explore the community. Consider emailing me at Marge, M-A-R-J, at MargeAndre.com. I welcome suggestions for podcast guests. Stay well, stay connected.